And good morning, everyone. It's lovely to see so many of you on Zoom. Um, it's lovely to see so many people without face masks. Okay, are you ready to hear what our verse for the year is? I've got a, a little friend with me here. Can I, can I get a, a, a drum roll? James, do you want to do a little? And while James has a little drum roll, okay, that's probably enough. I'm gonna share my screen and hopefully it will work. Can you see that? St. Luke's Formby verse for 2021, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So that's John 6, 68. I'll tell you what, I'll leave that up there uh, for a few more minutes. It's a verse that sums up who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. And it also accepts that it's not always easy to follow Jesus. Now, I have to confess that when I picked this verse, I didn't spend much time looking at the context and the conversation within which it's found. And the more that I've looked at John chapter 6 this week, the more it seemed like quite a bizarre chapter. John chapter 6 is quite bizarre. And you see, it's bizarre in John chapter 6 because, well, Jesus comes across as a bit of a failure. And he also comes across as quite offensive. And I guess being a failure and being offensive are two things that we don't normally use to describe Jesus. Sure they're not. So if you've got a Bible nearby, um, please pick it up. Um, please go and grab it and open it to John chapter 6. I'm going to be using the New International Version, which I assume is probably the version most of you have at home. Uh, but I'll refer to the verses as we go along, so hopefully you'll be able to find them. Um, completely unhelpfully, I'm on page 1160, and you'll be on something completely different. Okay, and as you find the page of John chapter 6, uh, verse 35 and onwards, I'll just remind us that John chapter 6, well, it starts off really well. Jesus, right at the start of chapter 6, he feeds thousands of people from almost nothing. And he walks on water without getting wet. Two amazing miracles, amazing things. The kind of things that we delight in telling people about in Sunday school. But it all goes downhill after that. By the end of the chapter, people are offended by him and what he says. And because of these things, many people actually turn away from Jesus. His popularity is fizzling out before our eyes. What a change from verse 15, where it says the crowds were about to make him king by force. But by verse 67, it sounds like only 12 people are still with him, and even they are in doubt. You see, what on earth are we to make of a passage like this? What on earth are we to make of it? Why would I choose a verse for, a year, for the year from such a passage? And I guess this week, as I've been preparing, I've kind of been asking myself the same question as well. Seriously, though, I'd like us to look in more detail at this passage. And first, we'll have a look at what seems to go wrong. And then we'll try and see if there are any glimmers of hope. So verse 35, it's one of the famous verses in John's gospel. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And that's quite nice, isn't it? People like food. After all, they've just been fed by 5,000 men plus women and children. 
food is always a winner. But then Jesus says something that doesn't go down just so well. It's a bit hard to swallow, you could say. Verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. What's wrong with that, you might say? Well, let's read verses 41 and 42. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? How can he say that? You've probably heard that kind of thing in an argument before. And if not from your own lips, I'm sure you've heard it on the TV. How dare you say that? We fume. What right do you have to say such a thing? You see, it's a question of authority, isn't it? How on earth can Jesus say that he's come down from heaven? They just don't believe him. You see, if Jesus is just Mary's son, if he's just Joseph's son, well, then we can keep him in a box, can't we? But Jesus is claiming more than that. So they ask, what right does he have to say such a thing? And of course, today it's just the same, isn't it? Lots of people question Jesus's authority. You could say it's a great get out of jail free card. If Jesus isn't God, then we don't need to listen to everything that he says. We don't need to worry about what he says about us. We can ignore those bits. You see, if we can treat him as just a good miracle worker, as just a good teacher, as just a social reformer, then he's a bit more politically correct. But when he oversteps the mark, well, that's when, that's when we reject him. And then we don't have to let him say too much about us. We can just ignore him when we want to. We can cherry pick what he says. You see, these people, they don't believe who Jesus is. They ask, what right does he have to say such things? And then Jesus continues in verses 43 to 51, and he talks about the sorts of things that we read about in our Old Testament reading today. He talks about the time of the Israelites in the desert, after the Exodus, after they've been rescued from Egypt so, so miraculously. And then when they find themselves in the desert, they find themselves without food and they grumbled. You could say it's a bit of a pattern, it seems, isn't it, with people before God. That's what happens in this passage as well. And what did God do because of their grumbling? Well, gracefully, mercifully, he gave them bread from heaven, manna. He gave it to them every morning to eat, every morning for 40 years. It was miraculous. It came from heaven. They ate it and they had their fill. It kept them going. But even with this, they still died in the desert of old age. And here in John's Gospel, Jesus now compares himself to that bread from heaven, but he's even better. And he seems to say that people need to eat him. The conversation's starting to turn quite bizarre, isn't it? Has Jesus lost his mind? He's not making any sense. So in verse 52, the crowd argues at what Jesus has said. Then the Jews begin to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They argue. It doesn't make any sense. Sure it doesn't. And if it doesn't make any sense, well, maybe it's not true after all. A good excuse not to get too serious with all this religion stuff. 
Jesus has gone off his rocker. He's got confused. He doesn't make any sense, so let's just ignore him. And of course today, well, plenty of people don't take him seriously. Just think about some of the things Jesus says. They're a bit weird. In fact, the Bible says some pretty weird things, doesn't it? Be kind to your enemies. That sounds crackers. Or what about don't live together before you're married? Well, society knows that doesn't make any sense. Let's just ignore it and let's do the things that we want. And if it can't be true, then you don't have to worry about it. We don't have to go all extreme, all religious. Well, it was bad enough that Jesus said things that people thought he didn't have any right to say. It was unfortunate that he didn't make any sense. But now, in these next verses, Jesus has gone and done it. You could say he's gone all Donald Trump. He's been downright offensive. What do you make of verses 53 and 54? Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. On the face of it, do you see what Jesus is saying? People have to eat his flesh. That sounds a bit like cannibalism. And people have to drink his blood. That sounds a bit like vampirism. It sounds highly offensive, doesn't it? And if it offends us, well, surely we can just ignore it. It mustn't be true. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And you spot what's happened in the conversation. How can Jesus say he's from heaven? We reject his authority. How can he give us his flesh? We don't understand him. Who can accept what he says? We're offended by him. See, if I reject his authority, he can't be right. If I don't understand him, well, of course he can't be right. And if I'm offended by him, well, definitely he can't be right. And notice that the speakers have changed from the Jews, the religious leaders, to in verse 60, those who were often, those who were actually his disciples, many of his disciples. This is his own followers who are struggling with what he says. It's not looking good, sure it's not. He's not attracting his loyal fan base. They're turning away from him. And what about us? Well, I want to ask you, does Jesus say things that offend you? Does his word say things that offend you? What about the Old Testament? All that talk of genocide. What about Jesus himself? He's the one who seems to talk the most about some people going to hell. Or maybe the New Testament letters talking about the sorts of behaviour that forfeit eternal life. It's offensive, isn't it? This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Who indeed can accept Jesus's words? And Jesus continues, in verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And then jumping on to verse 64, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Jesus calls out some of his disciples for who they are. They're not really following him. 
They're following him in the flesh. They're doing the right things and saying the right things, but it's a false profession. They're hypocrites. They're going to turn. And sure enough, in verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They'd had enough. Now, if I'm honest with you, I quite like to jump over these verses. I don't really want to apply them this morning. I don't really want to consider the fact that some of us listening right now will turn our backs on Jesus. I don't want to entertain that thought. It's hideous, isn't it? But it's possible. In fact, just look what happens with Judas by the end of the book. Verse 70 and 71. He was one of the twelve apostles. He was chosen by Jesus. But you see, it's because it's possible. That's why we do need to face it. People are tempted to reject Jesus. Even Christians who have been following Jesus for years, for decades even. I know a number of Christian leaders who've fallen from grace and turned their backs on Jesus. So it's possible for you and it's possible for me. And let's be honest, being a Christian isn't straightforward, is it? There are many reasons to reject Jesus and what he says. Being offended by him, struggling in our faith, feeling we're a failure or just drifting away. But there's an alternative. It's our verse for the year, verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You see, Peter has hit the nail on the head. Yes, there are lots of clever arguments to reject Jesus and some not so clever, but ultimately the decision is down to one thing. Without Jesus, we have nothing because only Jesus has the words of eternal life. In verse 63, Jesus says, the words I've spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. You see, Jesus has given us his word so that we may have spiritual life, eternal life, life to the full. He speaks to us so we may live, so we may find out more about him and trust him and have our hearts strangely warmed by him. Our God is a speaking God and he wants us to listen to him and to hear that he is a life-giving God. That verse we started with. Verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is the bread of life. We need bread, we need food, don't we, to live. But Jesus is better than bread. You see, we get hungry again after a slice of toast or a ham sandwich. But those who eat this bread will never go hungry. They will never thirst. Imagine what it would be like never having to worry about eating or drinking because your body somehow had enough. You never got hungry or thirsty. Well, that's what it's like to rely on Jesus, to eat this spiritual food. Never having to worry about shopping or paying the food bills. Never having to worry what the next meal would be. That's how it is with our spiritual life. Jesus offers us everlasting life. And it's everlasting because he holds on to us. Take heart from verse 39. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. See, Jesus' grip on us is stronger than our grip on him. If we trust in him, we don't need to worry. It's not down to how hard we try or how good we are. It's down to Jesus and what he has done. Coming to Jesus, trusting in him, is as easy as eating a slice of bread or drinking a cup of water. And these are things we do every day without thinking about them. We're not asked to do anything difficult. We're just asked to trust in Jesus. So let's be honest with ourselves. Jesus does say some things that don't make sense. He does say some things that seem offensive to us. Many people reject his authority and many people turn away from him. And I'm sure over the next year, each of us will be tempted in ways like this. Like Peter and the 12 as well, we'll be tempted to walk away. It might be big or it might be small, but let's take heart that nothing and no one else compares to Jesus. He is the one who has the words of eternal life. So let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you do have the ultimate authority because you come from heaven. You are fully God and know things that we don't know. We thank you that although sometimes things don't seem like sense to us, that they do mean sense to you because your wisdom is greater than our wisdom. We thank you, Father, that even when we are offended by your words and when others are offended by your words, that actually your words are more truthful, more righteous, more honest, more wonderful than we can imagine. And Father, thank you that even when we feel like we might have had enough, when we are struggling, that you hold on to us. We pray, Father, that this year, that you would fill our hearts, that you would fill our minds with the wonderful truths of who you are, that we would come to see that you are the one who has the words of eternal life and that we would not seek anything else or go anywhere else. Please would you keep hold of us and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.